You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, one and all, to Abacabo Cafe. This is the internet's very own English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. I'm your host, Chase Naomi, and I am thrilled to welcome you all to today's episode. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the ever important fourth main character. I can hear you all scratching your heads, wondering who's this fourth main character you're talking about. I'm talking about the music of Orange Road. Also, I want to welcome new patrons, Johnny Jamingo and Nick the private individual. The CIA is going to force me to redact that portion of the audio. Maybe, who knows? Welcome aboard, guys. Go check out patreon.com slash teamalmy for all sort of cool bonus content that I'll talk about towards the end of this episode. The film scholar Christian Metz considered the visual aspect to be the primary quality of film, and I can't imagine a convincing argument otherwise. Without visuals, we might as well be listening to a record or a podcast. Hi, guys. We do not have a film without the visual component. As such, Metz considered sound to be a secondary quality of film. After all, there are often silences in film, which often used to heighten tension or uh, maybe underscore drama or even set up a jump scare. But a bit of silence in a film that is otherwise filled with sounds and dialogue and music or all three of those is a lot like a fade to black that lingers for a moment or two. Even though the screen is black for a few moments, the rest of the film has a visual component. Same with silences. In film, they tend to be short. Modern audiences really don't like watching silent films. That's too bad, but I'll save that gripe for another podcast. Sergei Eisenstein considered cinema operating only in visual images to be incomplete, that's his word, and considered sound the solution for complex narrative problems. In the context of commercial films, that is, movies that are produced with the intention of making money, there really never has been a truly silent film. You're probably thinking, bullshit. 
How many films were produced in the 19-teens and early 1920s before sound became a thing? I'll explain what I mean. In the era that we refer to as the silent film era, which ended almost 100 years ago, I actually think there was a partial talkie released in 1927, so we're pretty close to 100 years. Could be off by a year or two there. But even during the silent era, when, when films did not come with their own synchronized audio track and dialogue was delivered with intertitles, the audience's experience of a film was never silent. Typically, there was actually a live musical accompaniment. There was a guy on a piano or there was even a small band. There was no one reciting the dialogue, but the music had much the same function as background music does in Orange Road. It sets the mood. It sets the vibe of the scene. It creates an ambiance, and it communicates some of the meaning to the audience. It tells them how to feel. If you watch a silent movie nowadays, go pick up uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari on uh, Blu-ray, and you'll notice when you play the film, there's a soundtrack on that disc. It's not a silent experience, and it really never was, even for audiences in the early 1920s, watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1923, live on the screen, there was a band playing music that would help the audience to interpret what was going on on screen and to help set the mood and the vibe. And what a vibe the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is, by the way, if I may say so. A hundred years later, the importance of sound is much the same as it was even during those early live performances during the silent films. We get a little bit more sound than they did back then. We get uh, ambient noise, including sound effects, like when a character is walking down a hallway, we tend to hear their footfalls. If they're out in the park, we might hear birds chirping. If it's nighttime, we might hear cicadas. Also, we get dialogue and other voice acting like laughing or grunting. They didn't get that back then. They really just had the music in that silent film era. Granted, the ambient noise and dialogue are both very, very important, but not necessarily what today's episode of Abakabu is about. What I really want to talk about today is the music. If we talk about the dialogue, we really have to talk about the acting, and I've already touched on that a little bit in previous episodes. I don't want to retread that, and I think with ambient noise, sound effects, etc., there's a little bit to talk about here in Orange Road, particularly the sound effects that play whenever the characters use the ESP power. But I'm not sure that makes a whole episode. What does make a whole episode is the music in Orange Road. And I'm quite confident that if you're listening to a podcast all about Orange Road, every episode is dedicated to Kimagure Orange Road. I feel very confident in saying that you are quite likely a big fan of the music of this show. And so I hope today's episode is like a little treat for you. I'm going to be playing a lot of music in today's episode. This might be the episode that gets yanked off of Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those guys really don't want to fuck with uh, Warner Brothers Music Group. And Warner Brothers Music Group owns all of the rights to all of the uh, Orange Road music. So they're the ones that are going to get pissed if they find out how much music I play in today's episode. I'm going to be playing entire tracks of several, several songs. So uh, if you're hearing this and um, you don't hear all of the music, the music has been cut out due to pressures on me from Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube, then uh, please proceed to the Patreon that I mentioned earlier where you will find the episode in its uncut form. Now, for the discussion of music in Orange Road, I tend to conceptualize the music 
as falling into one of two distinct categories, although I say distinct categories, but there does seem to be a bit of crossover, and I'll explain as I go. First, we have background music. Not to be confused with ambient noise, the background music isn't the footfalls or the cicadas or the crickets chirping or whatever. The background music is typically instrumentation. It lacks vocals. It's typically very short. Uh, Many of the background tracks are less than two minutes long, whereas most songs that you would listen to on a CD or the radio would be two, two and a half, three, three and a half, four minutes long. Who knows? Six, seven minutes long if we're talking about Led Zeppelin or something. But these tracks typically tend to be pretty short. They also serve a purpose. They, they're a little bit more functional maybe than the other broad category where these background tracks are meant to evoke emotion in the audience or convey the mood. They complement the image that you're seeing on screen. There's not as much replayability with the background music. The background music has that evocative function. So, you know, it's places in the context of the episode, as I said, with the on-screen events. You're not really going to blast these in your car at sunset on a summer day when you're coming home from the beach or something. For example, here's Exclamation's Trickery. It's the name of the track. At a mere 32 seconds in length, this nonetheless feels like the most orange roadish background music that I could think of. This short track always evokes some imagery of Casca being a thick-headed dope, but no matter how orange roady this song is, it's not a track that I'll ever vibe to on my way to a disco on a Saturday night. Except maybe this one. This is Bayshore Dancing Way.
Now, the other broad category that I have for Orange Road music is songs. The songs have a lot of opposite features as background music. So they're characterized by vocals, although there are some notable exceptions that lack vocals, one of which I'm going to play in a few minutes. But also, here's another example. This is Madoka's theme, Lonely Concert, from Sound Color One. I think we can all agree that despite lacking vocals, this doesn't qualify as background music. It's evocative, and yet this is a song, this is a track that you would vibe to. It stands on its own without the context of the on-screen events. Songs also include opening and ending music and insert songs. Anime is famous for opening and ending music. How many hours and days, weeks of our lives have we spent with Orange Road opening and ending tracks stuck in our head, playing on repeat. Another way to think about Orange Road music is in terms of diegesis. Sometimes the music is happening in world. The characters can hear the music just as well as we can. That's the diegetic music. A lot of the times, music that I describe as a song, that falls into that broad song category, tends to be diegetic. For example, when Kasuga plays the Watakanako CD in I Want to Return to That Day, we see animation of him removing the CD from its case, putting it into the CD player. Then when the music begins, we as the audience can hear it, 
and it evokes a mood for us. But we also understand that Kasuga and Shikaru are listening to that CD together, along with us, in that moment on screen. Another example is the track Breaking Heart, played at a concert in episode 13 by the in-episode band called Bobson. We also have non-diegetic music. This is music that's intended only for us as the audience. The characters cannot hear this music. As such, it's meant to communicate a meaning solely to us, mostly by setting a mood, establishing a vibe, as I said before. Most of what I refer to as background music occurs non-diegetically. It happens as Kasuga is walking down the street, tailing Ayukua, following behind her. We might hear Gimunfu wa Naishode as he's doing that. Also, sometimes the tracks that I call songs are also non-diegetic. For example, in episode 12, we are graced with Remembrance of You in the Red Straw Hat, the absolute banger that Sagisu probably ripped off from Even the Nights Are Better by Air Supply. Kasuga and Ayukua can't hear Remembrance of You in the Red Straw Hat as they're standing on top of the 100 stairs. There's no loudspeakers. There's no live band or anything present. We're not given any indication that there's anything there within the story of the film to play this music such that their ears can hear it. It's just for us. But I would call Remembrance of You in the Red Straw Hat an absolute banger of a song that I will play on any day when I'm on my way to a disco.
some city pop remixes of that song instead that track is just for us it's just for the viewer and it's to highlight the emotional gravity of this moment as Kasuga has found Ayukua standing there again waiting for him at the top of the hundred stairs now whether or not Sagisu ripped off air supply this track in particular is evidence of the western influence in city pop there's also the occasional non-diegetic use of insert songs which are vocal tracks that play at some point during the episode, but they aren't coming from an in-story source. Like in episode 11, we get to hear Dangerous Triangle as Kasuga is trashing Master's bike on his way to find Ayukua and stop her teenage marriage. So before we leave behind the discussion of background music and diegesis to get into my top 10 Orange Road songs that I have for you today, I want to talk a little bit about the significance of music in Orange Road generally. And then as I discuss each song in the top 10, I may offer up some specific details on the meaning of that particular song within the broader context of Orange Road. But I at least want to give an overall summary because we really don't have the time to analyze every single track on all three sound colors. And I want to return to that day. That would be 63 tracks of music, not including the bonus karaoke and instrumental tracks. While some tracks, particularly the Watakanako contributions like Janina, Like a Bird, and Embrace the Sky, are moody expressions of angst, they mostly punctuate a musical ovoir that is upbeat and peppy. It's full of youthful exuberance and optimism about the future, even if the lyrics aren't. The lyrics tend to be your more teenage angst, romantic stuff, but sonically, the music does tend to be fairly up-tempo. It's stuff that you would tap your foot to. And of course, songs like Wada's An Uncertain I Love You are needed to express unrequited love and teenage heartbreak that's so familiar to any of us who have seen I Want to Return to That Day. However, the songs overall tend to be upbeat. They're polished pop songs that make you want to move. Hell, even Wada's Sad Heart is Burning slaps hard despite its lyrical content concerning a woman whose boyfriend breaks up with her. So there tends to be a little bit of a juxtaposition in some of these songs. The lyrical content tells a rather depressing story. Meanwhile, that music just makes you want to get up and go. I think it's safe to say that whether we're talking about the music or the visual style of the animation, or even the narrative content, Orange Road is a product of its time. The music is unabashedly high 80s pop rock. It's a great example of the music and storytelling that characterized the Japanese economic boom of the 80s. 
in that way, Orange Road is a product of its time. And Orange Road is not something that can be replicated today outside of its time. And we see that in Shin Kimagure Orange Road. I think it's a great example. It features a very different animation style and music. While being a part of the media franchise, it really doesn't recapture the style of the original television series in OVA. So, as we go, I'll talk in a little bit more detail about each song as I go through them on the top 10, but I at least wanted to say that the overall expression of Orange Road music is influenced by both the booming economy as well as Western musical influences, and it's unabashedly optimistic as a result of that economic boom, even when the lyrical content is heartbreak and unrequited love and people just getting crushed. So on to my top 10. In the 10th spot, we have the first ending theme. And if you watch this series in order, starting from episode one, this would have been the first Wada Kanako track that you heard, Summer Mirage.
Wadakanako's dreamy delivery is heightened by a touch of reverb, which I enjoy. The song speaks about a patient longing with the singer expressing a desire to be lovers with the subject, but willing to wait. In the context of Orange Road, the female vocalist and the tender expression of unrequited intimacy preclude Casca's point of view, of course. The idea that the singer can't be with the one that she loves at this time, but is willing to wait for him does seem to strongly imply Ayukua's point of view, which is heightened by the fact that the ending during which this song plays features only imagery of Ayukua alone in all the shots. Thanks to the song, we can associate the Ayukua-centric imagery with her expression of her desire for an intimate relationship with Kasuga while her solitary presence heightens her longing. It's artistically important that she's alone in all of these shots. Next up, we have the second ending theme, also performed by Wada Kanako. In our ninth place, Sad Heart is Burning. Yeah. 
As with Summer Mirage, I love the relatively up-tempo arrangement in contrast with the moody, somber performance by Wada. She takes it very seriously, and it works. Gone is the hopeful longing of Summer Mirage. It's replaced by themes of lost love, of losing the affections of your lover. There are lines in the song about not noticing things until it's too late, and of the subject's true love waiting for them. Careful examination of the lyrics does seem to imply Shikaru's point of view, but at this point in the Orange Road chronology, it's hard to associate Wada's vocals with anyone but Ayukawa, thanks to Summer Mirage and Janina insert song that we've heard uh, to this point in time. Additionally, the second ending contains only images of Ayukawa, which further associates her with the song. Next is a little bop from the OVA series, performed by Tachibana Yuka. In eighth place, we've got Toki Doki Blue. I'm not 
Now, here's a song that is almost certainly from Shikaru's point of view, with lyrics about her typically being positive and happy, but also occasionally having a hidden undercurrent of sadness. She's sometimes blue. Lyrics go on to express that she can tell the subject is thinking about another girl, and yet the singer says nothing about it to maintain a harmonious relationship. The singer doesn't call out her boyfriend or would-be boyfriend about his affections for another girl because she doesn't want to cause waves. That's precisely what Shikaru has been doing, as we learn in I Want to Return to That Day. Now, I'll say that I enjoy the bright tempo and ever so slightly distorted electric guitar of this song, but that I don't love Tachibana's performance as much as Wada's. Also, this song might have a bit more of like a 90s feel for me. I know it came out in the late 80s with the OVA, but even still, try not tapping your feet when this song plays. It's almost guaranteed to get stuck in your head. And to me, these upbeat bops perfectly express the general vibe of Orange Road. Next is a relative rarity amongst the Orange Road songs, a male voice. The first on this list, song number seven is an insert song from episode 11 called Dangerous Triangle.
Performed by Ikeda Masanori, the male voice can only express Kasuga's point of view. In translated lyrics, we hear expressions of the singer's regret at hurting the subject. The singer knows he's broken the subject's heart, but also vows to take away her tears and hold her tightly. The lyrics also paint a picture of urban life, of a night in the city, the type of imagery that's closely associated with city pop today. In our sixth spot, we have another Watakanako banger, Sarubia no Hana no Yoni. Chibi, do he does? 
This song features prominently in the conclusion of episode 22 as the song that was written by Ayukawa heavily implied that she wrote it for Kasuga. As such, the lyrics have to be viewed as an expression of Ayukawa's point of view with Kasuga as the subject. Similar to Summer Mirage, the lyrics express a deep longing for the subject, describing the feeling of hearing the subject's gentle voice and longing to bloom next to the subject, continuing the flower metaphor, which we can take to mean that Ayukawa acknowledges the effect Kasuga has on her of bringing her out of her shell and opening her to love and friendship. It may also be a metaphor for growing up together, blooming together, coming into adulthood together. She wants to do that as Casca's partner. Yet the singer also acknowledges the presence of another woman who acts as a roadblock, preventing her and the subject's union and the pain that it causes the singer. While it's not as peppy as something like Tokidoki Blue, and I would not at all consider the lyrics to be upbeat, there's still an energy to the chorus, especially that's the perfect hook. It always lodges this song in my head whenever I hear it. For our fifth song, we have the third intro song, Actress in the Mirror.
Nakahara Meiko pulls double duty as both the lyricist and performer on this song, and I love both her vocal performance as well as the guitar in this song. And maybe, most of all, I love how up-tempo it is. Sure, it's about betrayal and heartbreak, but shit, it just slaps so hard. It's really easy to forget all of that and just vibe to the energy. This song screams Orange Road energy with a bitchin', if regrettably short, guitar solo. And who can forget the bright, saturated third intro visuals as each scene transitions seamlessly without cuts, weaving together video games and teacup rides and moving in and out of magazines and posters on the wall. The third intro animation is honestly a masterwork that can be easily taken for granted by virtue of its ubiquity. We see it 15 times, but it's as iconic as any other music video produced in the 80s, in my mind. In our fourth spot, we have a high-energy banger in Tsubokura Yuiko's Breaking Heart.
This song features prominently in episode 13 as a diegetic song played at the concert Kasuga takes Shikaru to. This one is a little harder to make sense of lyrically as finding translations online is kind of tough. I was able to find one. It's a little spotty, but this one seems to focus a little less on the themes of heartache and loneliness, although they remain present. As with Choose Me, I tend to rate the song pretty highly for being up-tempo and slapping so hard, as well as Tsubakura's big energy performance. So, of course, next, Tsubakura Yuiko hangs around for our third spot, as well as an absolute banger of a song with Choose Me. Oh 
not featured on any of the Sound Color albums, but Orange Road fans would first hear this song on December 27th, 1989, with the release of OVA number three. Choose Me barely made it out in the 80s. This was almost a 90s song. As a result, I don't think this song comes to mind very much when Orange Road fans discuss their favorites. In fact, I will go so far as to say that I think Tsubokura Yuiko is unfairly overlooked in favor of Watakanako. But even though it's not associated at all with the Orange Road TV series or movies, this song places very highly for me for a number of reasons. One, it's got lyrics that really capture the nostalgia factor of Orange Road, probably better than almost every other song associated with this media franchise, except for one. The singer expresses both a desire for the subject to be with her, to choose her as his lover, but like the other songs on this list, there's a sophistication here as well. And the opening lyrics really nail the nostalgia for me with imagery of time passing by fast, as it always seems to do in hindsight. And as someone who's been watching Orange Road for nearly 30 years, I can appreciate that message as it seems like time has flown by. There's nostalgia in the lyrics that imply that the the singer has not seen the subject in some time. And as if to catch up with him, uh, she asks him if he's found a lover by now. So there's that sense that these two people are reconnecting and looking back in time, played over the sepia-tinted animation from the very first episode showing us Kasuga's very first meeting with Ayukua. This, to me, pure nostalgia right here. But what really gets me about this song, what I really love about Choose Me, is Tsubokura's absolute powerhouse performance. She belts this track out. Her voice is so full and energetic. Her need seems so immediate and urgent. This song is big Orange Road energy all day and all night in my book. One of the best. Song number two, our runner-up, is Night of Summerside. Sagasitanoko in 
Keira Masanori is back. He performs this absolute classic, which for many fans, this was the very first piece of Orange Road music that you ever heard. It's up-tempo. It's brimming with energy without even a hint of cynicism. It's this shiny 80s pop song that we all deserve. It's also a rare song among Orange Road bops because it has a male voice. Again, most of the vocals are provided by female singers. It associates itself immediately with Casca. The association is also reflected in the lyrics. It details the singer finding adventure with a mysterious and beautiful stranger who leaps into his car. Could be a metaphor for leaping into his life, you know, meeting somebody like he did with Ayukua. Simultaneously, they escape her pursuers at the same time she seduces him. There's imagery of an urban cityscape at night all neon marquees and taillights. And there's also the bay with all the boats anchored there, pregnant with possibilities of getting away, escaping, going into a life of adventure. Now, Casca never drives a car. Hell, he gets run over by more cars than he drives in this series. But for some reason, this song is 100% on the money for Orange Road's narrative, as a metaphor at least. It works really well as an analogy for Casca meeting Ayukua and getting swept up from that moment on. And his life is kind of crazy over the course of the television series, as we witness, to our great entertainment. Something about the allure of the mysterious stranger and her seductive air as the singer does his best to figure out who she is and what the hell he's gotten himself into, it's the perfect analogy for Kasuga's attraction to Ayukua from the very opening moments of episode one. The singer is never quite able to possess the subject of his song either. This woman eludes him to some degree. Even as she and the singer finally kiss, 
And it perfectly reflects the way Ayukawa always remains a bit unknowable to Kasuga. She's a bit out of his reach. In our number one spot, I had to do it. We've got Orange Mystery, performed by Nagashima Hideyuki.
It's my opinion that Orange Mystery is the perfect 80s pop song. Easily one of my favorite songs of all time. I love the way it opens with a crack. I love the harmonizing. I love the mid-song guitar solo. I love the bass line leading up to the mid-song guitar solo. The lyrics are also perfect, telling a simple story of lovers frolicking at the beach together. In the mind's eye, you can see them splashing in the waves with the bright sun high overhead. And yet, as with Night of Summerside, there's the sense that the singer can never quite catch the object of his affection, with the subject leaping into the sea to avoid a kiss, promising the singer she would be his while remaining just outside of his reach, promising to be his, and yet she's still elusive. Then there's the line, Natsu ga wareba sayonara yoite, when summer's over, it's goodbye, promising that their fling would end when the summer does. In that, there's something incredibly nostalgic about this song as well. Like most of the music of the 80s, it's part of a decade gone by. It's a picture of the youth that eventually eludes us all. We all get old. We all look back. The lyrics of Orange Mystery were written by Urino Masao, who had a big hit in 1982 with none other than Nakamori Akina, who, as you know, served as an influence in the creation of the Ayukawa character. Now, if you're interested in uh, a big hit, being a big hit with me, you can do me a solid. You can head on over to teamalmy.com slash support. Also, patreon.com slash teamalmy. They both work. Take it to the same place. If you become a patron, I'll send you stuff. That much is a given. I got a bunch of stickers that are exclusive just to Orange Road uh, and Team Almy patrons. I'll send those to you. You'll also get access to a host of extra content that we do. Uh, Shit Happens When You Party Naked. This is an exclusive Patreon-only podcast just for subscribers of the Patreon. But what's more? I I sound like Billy Mays right now. But wait, there's more. In addition, we're doing an Orange Road live commentary every Friday night. Every Friday night at 9.30 p.m. We're watching it live, and then I post the recap on Saturday afternoon to the the Patreon. So you guys will have access to that as well, exclusive video content that can't possibly appear on this feed. So I appreciate everybody who is a patron. I love you all dearly. If you were not so geographically disparate, I would kiss you all on the mouths. Best I can do is send you a sticker. Uh, But if you ever come to the Boston area, I'll pick you up from the airport and kiss you on the mouth. All right, guys. That was an episode. I've been waiting to do this episode for a long time because uh, talking about the music in Orange Road, that's the fun of Orange Road. I mean, that's the f- that's what makes Orange Road just so damn fun as a media franchise. I'm going to leave you guys with my honorable mention. This is not in the top 10. It's Dance in the Memories. And I'll see you guys next time for the next episode of Abacabo Cafe. I just dance in the sweet memories.